From a single dime store to a global retail empire, the Walton family's journey is nothing short of extraordinary. But do you know how their success translates into philanthropy each year? It all started with Sam Walton's Simple Dime Store, which laid the foundation for what would become the world's largest retailer, Walmart. His vision was clear. Offer consumers lower prices and better service. This philosophy revolutionized retail and paved the way for Walmart's global dominance. Expansion started when Walton opened the first Walmart Discount City store in 1969. Going international in the 90s and jumping on e-commerce in the past 20 years has also led to major growth. And as, as Walmart grew, so did the Walton family's wealth and their commitment to giving back. The Walton Family Foundation gives away nearly $600 million annually, impacting lives and communities worldwide. Share this with a friend who didn't know that Walmart started in 1962 from a dime store. So starting with Walmart as a single dime store in 1962 to the conglomerate of retail that it is now, it really started with that vision of lower prices and better service. And what's interesting about this is, Hormozzi talks about this a lot where it's like, they're kind of four levels of the market it's like you're the cheapest you're a commodity you sell based on value or you're a luxury good which is basically selling based on brand I would say and when you're looking at kind of Sam Walton's vision he wants to be the loss leader he wants to be the cheapest and while he's the cheapest he wants the best service as well which takes a lot of innovation it's just insane to me because A, you have to set the culture right at the foundation, but then you have to innovate well because frankly, being the cheapest is expensive because in order to be the cheapest, you have to be really dialed from an operational efficiency perspective, from a technology and innovation perspective, from a culture perspective so that you can retain labor that supports the business running at low prices. And it's just really, it's a lot more difficult than people would give credit for. And then to scale that type of loss leader service nationally, internationally, and online, you're really running into a lot. And I mean a lot of work. And so lower prices, better service. I don't know exactly how Walmart has gone about better service, but it's funny, I'm here in Texas and HEB and Walmart, I used to think HEB was as big as Walmart, but not even close. HEB is only in Texas and they're still billionaires, I'm pretty sure. But Walmart um, is international, obviously, and they compete on price. I think HEB used to have this deal where it's like, if there's something at Walmart that's cheaper than us, we will quite literally undercut them on price just come to us bring it to us show us the receipt and you'll get it for cheaper here and it's like we're gonna take that loss leader strength away from walmart by literally saying we'll sell anything for cheaper like absolutely anything and then walmart i don't think they could implement that nationwide or internationally so i think it was only one way right which is interesting because i didn't understand that move as a kid but i understand it a little bit now because sam walton's vision was the lower prices and so if you take market share from them by having lower prices it's like well walmart's not doing the thing it used to do for me why would i keep going then of course the better service i don't know all the ways that retail handles better service but it's just that customer service of smiling and quick to responses and quick to refund and quick to solve problems 
Like it's all that kind of customer success stuff we've talked about a little bit on the podcast, but primarily customer service stuff of when problems pop up, what do we do? I don't know how it's like, how can we get ahead of the problems exactly? Maybe that's what the systems processes and just having a good product and service of like, hey, the food is here when you want it and it tastes good, right? So lower prices, better service, that was his vision. And then of course I said, it takes a lot of work to do it. And so there was a lot of innovation that Walmart had to do when they're scaling. So to scale internationally, they had to understand the systems, the processes, they had to have the connections, they had to be able to scale according to different laws, different regions, different cultures, all that good stuff, which means they had to know which experts to go to in the region to help them execute on this strategy. But they also need supply chain efficiency. They need to get goods to like hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of stores across the world. So they need to know how the supply chain works. They need to know how shipping works. They need to understand all of that very well. And they need a backup for their backup for their backup for their primary, right? Like you need to know the system in and out. And then you probably need to own the system in and out. And so a lot of this story of like lower prices, better service, kind of having these robber baron tactics from the early 1900s with the industrial revolution of like, oh, the Carnegie's, the Rockefeller's, how they did business of like, hey, I'm going to just be the best and I'm going to corner the market and I'm going to take it all. And then I'm going to use my excess resources to innovate so that nobody can beat me, right? So owning the supply chain was probably helpful. I'm sure they own it to some extent. I'm sure the technology they use, they have bought some technology, they've white labeled some technology, they've used some technology. But we see it with like, okay, so you execute the supply chain really well, that's how you ship internationally. You have your own drivers so you can handle kind of a piece of that supply chain, if not more of it. And you've executed on e-commerce too and stayed in the game from a resource perspective and from a brand perspective with other grocery stores, including Amazon and the Whole Foods market. A, because you know your target market, you probably have a different target market than Whole Foods does, but B, you've continued to innovate. And so all the work that has gone into running Walmart is just worth noting. I think the other thing worth noting here is that if you can own a bottleneck in your business, if you could own the solution to a bottleneck in your business, you'll be better off. So like owning the supply chain or like white labeling slash owning technology use or having software development teams to help solve problems for customers. This all allows you to then provide those services to yourself at cost, which help you be a loss leader and maintain lower prices and the better service, setting culture upright, supporting your employees correctly. I know HEB, will really help you through college and pay for a lot of college because they believe in education a lot. And a lot of people work at HEB and stay loyal to it and love their job there because they know they're getting great benefits, they're getting their college paid for, and they get the median pay, if not more than the median pay. And so when you pay well, you help people learn and grow, they'll stay. And that's really all we got for you from the Walmart story. Lower prices, it's deceiving in that it seems like it would be easy to just get it, sell it really cheap and get a bunch of customers. But how you actually need to run the business to support lower prices means you need that efficiency and effectiveness with your supply chain, technology use, culture, 
and labor and systems and processes. And Walmart has done a great job of that when it comes to scale. So that's what we got for you guys today on the show. Thank you so much for watching. We will see you on the next one. And remember, we are a community of people just not by our wealth, but by our impact.